0: Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity of introducing to you a friend and a podcaster who has been an incredible encouragement to me since we had a conversation on his podcast, the Messy Spirituality Podcast, and even through hearing conversations he's had with other people, has encouraged me to be more vocal in in the best ways possible and be less afraid of what people think of me. And to walk in my identity as a follower of Jesus. And so without further ado, I'd love to welcome to the podcast the host of the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Jason Elam. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Chris, man, it's an honor to talk to you again.
0: It's good to it's good to have you here. So um let, let's start by talking about your faith journey. I know people are probably familiar with your show, but just in case they aren't, let let's let's talk about your faith journey from where it begun to where you are now?
1: Well, I started off near Dayton, Ohio, in between Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio. And I walked the aisle at a children's revival in a Nazarene church. Uh, There was a children's revival going on with this really sweet senior citizen couple that went around to churches holding these little children's events. And they told me that God loved me, but actually maybe they didn't use these words, but this is what I heard. God loved me but you're a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner, and if you don't come up here and pray this prayer and get baptized and join this church, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity because God can't stand the sight of you apart from the blood of Jesus. Ooh. And so, man, i they could have sold me a timeshare. I would have i would have been <laughs> a seven years old. I would have signed on the dotted line because I was terrified of hell. They did a very good job of painting the picture of the flames that will never be quenched. And I wanted to run down that aisle and I shook the preacher's hand and I would have prayed any prayer they told me to pray. Hmm. And very, and again, I think they had very good intentions. I'm not maligning them in any way. I'm fairly certain that they've gone on to be with Jesus now. Um, but I was terrified. And so my faith was founded in fear. And when your faith is built on a foundation of fear, it sets you up for a life of fear. Because if you think that God truly doesn't like you, while he might have to let you in by the skin of your teeth and the blood of Jesus, then any little thing that you screw up in is going to cause him to turn his back on you. And I thought of salvation as something that I could lose in a heartbeat, Uh, you know, if I did it didn't read the Bible enough or I didn't pray enough or I didn't do whatever enough if I wasn't a good enough boy that God was going to be disappointed in me and turn his back on me and so that just set me up for that whole lifetime of fear I mean so much so that I couldn't I went to a Christian school in elementary school and they had pictures of Jesus on the cross all over the place those things terrified me because I looked at that and saw God is perpetually disappointed with me that's what I did to Jesus and when he finds out I'm really not a good boy he's he's going to kick me out of heaven and that was really my my mindset growing up now when I got older I decided I could maybe get my act together and try harder to be a good boy uh, except now I was a young man and so uh on mother's day of maybe 1993 1994 I walked the aisle again Gave my heart to Jesus all fresh and new. Yeah, you know, you know the drill. We recommit our lives to Jesus about every week in youth group, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, but then I shook the preacher's hand and answered a call to ministry. And I thought if I could just win enough people out of the flames of hell that God would be pleased with me. If I could read six chapters of the Bible every day, God would be pleased with me. If I could pray for an hour every morning, if I could fast every time I was in a preaching revival, I would fast from sun up to sundown. Uh, and I really believe that the anointing in my ministry was based on my performance in all of those disciplines. Hmm. Um, but then, uh, you know, after 20 something years in the ministry, I came to the end of trying to be good. Hmm. And um, my marriage, I was a, in a very abusive marriage and it crumbled. And around that same time I walked out of, uh, I was pastoring a church and I walk. I literally said to the church, I'm never setting foot in this building again. Uh, walked out of that abusive marriage, people who had been my greatest cheerleaders in ministry wouldn't take my phone calls anymore. And the opportunities dried up, you know, a divorced Baptist pastor is just not, you, you can't do that. At least you couldn't back then. I, I think it's gotten a little better, but, um, some of the friendships that i thought were my real friendships didn't stand the test of my own um, public disgrace but that is when i discovered a god who loved me more than i could imagine whose love for me was never based on Anything that I said or did, it wasn't based on a prayer that I prayed. It wasn't based on a church that I joined or a baptism that I went through. It wasn't based on having a ministry or the size of a church. It was just he he just loves me, and man, I when I discovered that, it was like the the floodgates of my heart just broke, and uh, that's when I truly experienced love for the first time and started to love others. Uh, in a more tangible way. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that, that performance driven mentality that, that drives a lot of what we do under that type of, uh, I guess I can just say it false gospel in the sense that you better get your crap together before God comes back. Cause if he sees what you've done, he's going to be pissed. And I, and I know we have a, have a Friend and an author in common named Brennan Manning, who wrote a book called "The Ragamuffin Gospel," and 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 was that one of the major influences in you recognizing the face of God?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Brennan tried to convince me while he was still alive through his work. He really, I, I would read those books and think, "Man, I wish this could be true. Mm. I wish God could love me." And, and I had no problem believing God loved Brennan that much. Mm -hmm. but I had trouble believing God loved me that much. And, um, yeah, the ragamuffin gospel and Abba's child and, uh, all of the books, the Brennan, man, his last book that was actually published after he died, um, just ripped my heart out. It's called all his grace. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he had to write with a co-writer because he was in such a poor physical condition at that point in his life. But that's when he just said, Hey, um, the whole time I was writing the Ragamuffin Gospel and all those other books that you know made me a Christian celebrity, uh, I was struggling with alcoholism, and I was drunk a good part of that time. And I would go off to speaking events and drink. And instead of coming home and seeing my wife, I would go to the bar. And But the love of God was for re- as real for me when I was drunk and face down in a puddle of my own vomit and urine as it was when I was in the pulpit telling people about the love of God. Mm. Uh, I remember just thinking, man, I wish that was real. I wish that could be true. And I think over time, God convinced me uh, just by loving me that way, that it could be true. I've had three pretty dramatic encounters with the love of God. Uh, One of them, I was a young teenager. I I had my tonsils taken out. And while I was on the operating table, they gave me too much anesthetic and my heart stopped. And I had one of those cliche near-death experiences where you see the light and the tunnel. And I realized that the light was not coming from some external source. This figure walking towards me was radiating the light. But in the presence of that one, I felt absolute acceptance for the first time in my life and i felt absolutely loved and i felt like my life mattered and so when i woke up from that surgery they they used the paddles and shocked my heart back into rhythm and and i uh, woke up thinking it was all a dream until i heard my mom telling a friend of hers that they had lost me on the operating table um so i woke up from that with this real sense of love and encouragement and destiny purpose but it doesn't take very long when you're in a legalistic environment for legalism to just pull you right back in. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened to me. Years later, as a missionary living in Romania, I was serving kids who were living in the sewer system of Timișoara, Romania, and we would go out a couple nights a week and just feed them dinner. And we went out one night, and um, I really didn't have my eye on national politics of the United States at that point, but this is in the 90s and the United States had started bombing Serbia. And some of the kids that were living in the streets had family that were being bombed in Serbia. And so when we walked, they were just mad. They, we, they saw us as the enemy. And they, one of the little kids, he was probably only 10 or 11 years old, picked up a rock and threw it and hit me and he went and after more, and they're, they're throwing stones at us, um, because we're the enemy and we're bombing. They see us as Americans who are in favor of bombing their country. And now everything within me just wanted to run. All right. My, you know, the whole fight or flight mechanism minus flight. I just wanted to get out of there. you go going to throw a rock at my head. I am going to run out of here. Uh, yeah. the kid was young, so I wasn't going to hit him or do anything like that, but it was, it was absolutely against my nature to do what I did. I rock, walked right over to him. Rock still wasn't at me. And I just grabbed him in this embrace and just hugged him. And he started crying. He was just sobbing. And we never settled. I mean, he, I didn't, he didn't speak English and I didn't speak his language. Um, but he just melted in my arms. And we were able to feed them that night. And, and we had a, a long-term relationship with he and his friends who lived in the sewers i can't explain what happened that night but i know that god showed me the power of love now i don't take any credit for that because i know that's not who i was that's not a a response that would have come from me but god gave me a glimpse of what real love looks like that night and the power of love to diffuse a very bad situation and then years later i was a pastor the, the people who—this older couple had been my right-hand folks since we had started this church, and I loved them. They were like second parents to me. But I was having um, my—I was going through deconstruction and having a real spiritual evolution, mm-hmm. and I started to doubt the existence uh, of—or I started to doubt the doctrine of eternal conscious torment. And I had tried very hard to be very honest and transparent with the folks that I was walking spiritually with in those days. And so I was honest about that. And I would ask questions from the pulpit. I'm not recommending that, by the way, but that's what I was (laughs) doing. Um, I think pastoring while in deconstruction is really, really hard to get right. I think Brian Zahn does a really good job of it. I'm not sure that I know anybody else who has um, Mm -hmm. that I've seen up close anyway, Um, but I, I was being honest about those things. Well, this this couple that, like I said, were like second parents to me. They were just like, "Do you mean to tell me that you think those gays aren't going to burn in hell for all eternity for rejecting Jesus?" Huh. Oh, and I, yeah. just, I just, I just, I just had to say, yeah, I don't, I don't think they will. I, I, I think God loves them the same way God loves me, and hmm. so they left the church. I mean, very quickly after that, I got the, uh, you know, we're not coming back message from them, and it broke my heart, and the church really struggled from that point on. We eventually had to close because we just ran out of money, and um, I was walking around my gym. In between the time that they left and the time that the church closed, I was walking around the track at my gym, and I was listening to a podcast by uh, Jonathan Martin. His guest was Brad Jurczak. And they were talking about the love of God. And as I'm listening to their conversation on that podcast, every bit of that love and acceptance and purpose from whatever happened to me on that hospital bed when my heart stopped beating, all of that just came flushing back and it just flooded me. And it just burst through the dam of the legalism that I had carried all those years. And it just wrecked me. And I'm walking around the track, bawling my eyes out. I know people had to think I was having a, a spiritual nervous breakdown, you know? Um, yeah. I'm just bawling my eyes out. But something happened to me that day, and I've never been able to go back. I have never for a second since that third encounter with the love of God had a doubt that God loved me just like I am, that there's nothing that I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing that I can do to make him love me less. That his love for me has never been dependent on anything I've ever said or done or ever will do. And that God loves every single one of us exactly that same way. Chris, he loves you that way. He loves Derek that way. He loves Brennan Manning that same way. He loves our wives and our kids. He loves uh, those gays as that former church member put it, the exact same way that he loves me. And so that changes how you treat people. That changes how you see the world. That changes how you see yourself. You know, for a long time, I thought the problem was I just wasn't doing a good enough job of loving my neighbor as myself. The reality is I was loving my neighbor exactly as I love myself. I just didn't love myself very much. And when you realize that God really does love you, who knows everything about you, who there are no secrets from, if God can know me as I really am and completely love me, then maybe there is something lovable about me. Maybe there is something worth loving. Maybe there's something worth showing to the people in my life. You know, for most of my life, I had kept everything uh, very close. I had kept my cards to myself, I was never going to show my hand to anybody. There were parts of me that I was terrified if they really knew what I was going through, if they knew about that struggle, if they knew about this habit, if they knew about, they would reject me. And so there was this whole part of my life that I had to keep secret. But over this last year, year and a half, uh, I'm getting more and more adventurous to take chances of showing those parts of myself to people and you know sometimes uh, they they respond in a way that is everything that I'd hope for and sometimes they don't but I know that yeah. God God loves me either way my wife loves me my kids love me and that's what matters to me
0: hmm and 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 I have to say too within the the work that you do with with the messy, messy spirituality podcast and I was telling you this before we started recording you have this amazing way of being so transparently yourself and it's so interesting to me because for so long i i thought that it was if i could just understand the the doctrine of god's love better if i could just read these bible passages enough times then i would get it but it wasn't until I, i read a the ragamuffin gospel and then also started having mystical experiences myself to where i finally started to understand but you have done such a fantastic job of, of really displaying that that identity that you walk in and, and being transparent with, with yourself and being transparent with the people that listen to your podcast for good and bad, When it whether it comes to um, affirming versus non-affirming or eternal conscious torment versus Christian universalism or uh, inerrancy versus inspiration or whatever the, the conversation may be, you make no bones about being like, yeah, well, this is where I'm at, and that's perfectly fine. What, what, what's what's brought you to that point in in your life with these mystical spiritual experiences in mind? What has brought you to a point now where you feel like, all right, I can finally speak out and say what's on my mind?
1: Well, a couple of things. I think just running face first into the love of God just has a tendency to set you free to be who you've always been. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense Yeah, that I finally became who I've always been? That I finally was comfortable talking about who I've always been. Uh, I've always struggled. I've always had questions. And you know, what's hilarious is when I started asking those questions, my mother who I would have thought was so conservative and so guarded in her faith. She told me a couple of uh, visits ago that she's wondered some of those same questions that I'm wrestling with on the podcast for years. I would have never thought that I, I would have, We've never had any good of those conversations But when we get free And when we find our voice It sets other people free And helps them find their voice And I'm so grateful for your kind words about the podcast Honestly, the Messy Spirituality podcast Was just uh, birthed from me being uh, Tired of being alone and uh, wanting to have conversations with people um, like Brad Jerzak and Paul Young and Keith Giles and people hmm. that I've looked up to for a while now, people who had really kind of guided me through my deconstruction process, but I had questions that weren't covered in their books. And so I started a podcast just so I could uh, have an excuse to talk to them and then share those conversations with other people. And I'm so <laughs> grateful for everybody like you that has listened and and benefited from those. But, uh, you know, the guests have been terrific. And when you don't have people on your show who are going to feed your insecurities, who just don't consider themselves better than you, or it it really, it just makes it easy to have just open, honest, transparent conversation. And that helps everybody.
0: Yeah. Now, I I don't know if I've told you this, but uh, I resonate with your story about Brad in in a very deep way. I remember listening to the conversation that him and Jonathan Martin had about, in the the book on radical inclusivity yeah and i just remember sitting uh cleaning cleaning pools which which is what i do right now to it's just what i do for work and uh i just i was sitting outside this person's house just weeping and not only was it the first time where i've i've uh i've i've wept to a podcast But it's also the first time that I've actually like wept openly and been perfectly okay with it. Um, And I think podcasts have this ability to bring you into a conversation that's much more needed than we ever could have possibly imagined.
1: Absolutely. Let me, let me turn the tables on you a little bit, Chris. I know you're interviewing me, but you've raised a question, and I, I enjoy asking my questions when I have them before I forget them. So when you were crying listening to that podcast, do you remember what it was about that conversation that brought you to tears?
0: Oh, man. I think there was so much in there that, that led me to that point. But I think if it had to be anything, I think it was twofold. I think there was this deep realization that I was in. And there was also this deep realization that I had spent the majority of my Christian life making sure other people that were in felt out. And so at at one moment, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever felt. But at the same time, it, and, and C.S. Lewis talks about that. He, he he talks about how the moment that we get into heaven is probably going, or the moment we get to heaven is probably going to be the most beautiful moment we've ever experienced, but also the most guilt-ridden experience, that, or most guilt-ridden we've ever experienced, because in that moment we will see perfect love as it truly is, but we will also see the ways in which we have fallen short. Mm. And so that was that was what made me weep. And, and I think even now, and, and it was kind of this, and, and I, I, I'll quote John Piper because I think that, that that's kind of like I wasted my life. Like I've wasted my life up until this point. I have made it so much about, well, if you do this, then you're not in. And if you don't do this, then you're not in. But in actuality, I should have just been loving people like they were in because they are.
1: Mm. I love and that. So, Man, so that changes that, everything.
0: Oh, my goodness. It, it changes the way you live. And, and that's what's so crazy to me about people. When they're like, well, if you don't believe in hell, then then what's the point of being a Christian? And, and it's like, have have you met
1: Jesus? <laughs> H- <have> you <laughs> that is word him? for word what Brad Jurizak said when I asked that question. Oh, I know. Have it, it, you it's... met Jesus? Because once you've met Jesus, you realize it's, it's not about, he's not some spiritual stick that God wants to hit you with for your shortcomings. Yeah. It, yeah. It, he's just, he's the ultimate symbol that God has loved you all this whole time. Hmm. Yeah.
0: No, and and it's so funny because the minute that Brad said that, I I thought to myself, I was like, I've thought that for so long, mm-hmm. and I've never been able to say it.
1: Yep. Well, I mean, you know, you were a fan of Brennan Manning, like I was. We we're reading those books, thinking, what if this could actually be true? Not really letting our, at least in my case, not really letting myself go there because it would have wrecked the churches that i was a part of to actually Mm -hmm. believe that god loved us like that but in that moment when i'm walking around the track having my little spiritual nervous breakdown i realized in that moment i I had been so stressed about how to keep this church going and i I realized in that instant god loves us all there's nothing we can do to lose it and it doesn't matter if this church keeps going Hmm. because his church will Cause the kingdom cannot be shaken and it's built on love. And so much of my church life has been about getting people to manage their sin better. Hmm. And that's not yeah. even on God's radar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If anything, what is on his radar is rebuking our piousness or mm. our piety. But with that being said, with, with, with talking about God loving us and the fact that perfect love casts out fear, Jason, I want to talk to you about fear twofold. I want to talk to you about fear of man in the sense that when you go through deconstruction, you find yourself sometimes on very shaky ground of, of how do I express this? Who do I express it to? When do I express it? And obviously, like, there are very inappropriate times, and they're also very appropriate times. But I want to talk to you about fear of man in that sense, but also with everything going on and and knowing some of the people we both run with in, in, in the circles that we're in and also just thinking about God's power and God's sovereignty, especially with the coronavirus. For those just to, to date this podcast, it was just announced on the news that we are not allowed to gather in groups of 10 or more or yeah, 10 or more. Um, what? How do we be fearlessness in the face of deconstruction and in the face of trials?
1: Well, de- deconstruction, I think, is a little easier f- for me just because I've done it for a while now. If, if you're rooted in love, if, if lo- perfect love has evicted your fear and you really believe in your DNA that God loves you no matter what, it just makes it easier to—you to... can love people without caring what they think about you i'm not great at that <laughs> i'm still working i'm still growing um it hurts me i got uh i had a new friend uh, connect with me on facebook just a little over a week ago and was very encouraging i actually met him somewhere and then he sent me a friend book uh, facebook friend request and um he had been very complimentary when we saw each other in person he had heard me preach and was very complimentary of that very accepting of the gospel and then as soon as we connect on facebook he immediately starts throwing a thousand questions saying well so, how, why? How are you not a false teacher? How are you not a heretic? How are you not this? How are you not that? Mm-hmm. And, um, that's heartbreaking to me, but it's not like it's gonna stop me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a time when somebody coming against whatever I was preaching or saying or doing would uh, just wreck me. I mean, I just couldn't go forward. I would, I would change my message to suit. But I, I just can't even think in those terms anymore. I'm going to love him no matter what he thinks of me. And and when people start acting like that, they need the love of God more than ever. Because hmm. yeah. he's, he's responding out of his insecurities and his fears and his rejection. And so does he need less love from me or more love? He needs more. Um, so as far as the fear of man, I'm not worried about men or what they may do to us. Um, I'm just not. Let's be clear, though, that when we're talking about fear, we're not talking about that feeling you feel when you're about to step into oncoming traffic. That's wisdom. (laughs) And and wisdom can save your life. All right. I'm hearing a lot of people in this uh, pandemic period that we're in right now talking about, well, I'm not going to let fear control me. So I'm just going to go out and live the life that I've always lived. Well, there's wisdom. And we need to heed wisdom. Um, if I, I fully believe that science has a way for us to kind of flatten the curve of the spreading of this virus. Now, you know, this podcast may come out and two or three months from now, we may realize it was much to do about nothing, but I'd rather do what I can right now to love my neighbors, my elderly neighbors who could get really sick and die from this. Uh, kids who have lung issues can get really sick and die with this. My wife uh, is immune compromised and could get really Mm. sick and have a really hard time from this virus. And so I want to keep those things in mind in my response, but I don't consider that a response out of fear. I'm really just trying to love my neighbors.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That, that, and that's, that's what's so interesting about this situation is, is that on the flip side of that, when it comes to fear-driven lifestyles with people saying, I'm just going to go about my life because I'm afraid. I've seen people posting about going to church, especially with the, the limitations on gathering. And I literally, it made, it made me so mad. Um, but someone was talking about how if we don't gather then they are afraid that that will be a foothold for the enemy to creep in. And it's like, since since when has loving your neighbor well been an opportunity for the enemy to creep in? Like, it, whatever you think of the enemy, whatever you think he he is or it is or thought is, when? When, when has that been an idea? And so it, cr- fear makes us do the craziest things sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, there's there's a lot of fear in in the common response that we're seeing, like you just mentioned as well. I mean, it's a fear of, you know, if I don't go to church, then I'm letting God down. There there's this whole I, I've got to do what I've always done to prove my faith. When God's not looking for anybody to prove God knows exactly how much faith we have. Yeah. This whole God's testing my faith or just seeing if I'll hang on to him during this pandemic. No, God knows exactly how much faith you have. And the reality is mm. God's never expected you to go to some big building on Sunday morning and sing a few songs and listen to a preacher for an hour. That's never been something God ever expected of you in the first place. And so, mm. and again, that works for some people and it, and it makes them feel the presence of God. I want everybody to feel loved by God. I don't want their legalism empowered. Yeah. And I think that piety that you refer to, that God, you know, he is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think there is something to that when we start thinking, well, I'm not going to be one of these compromisers that misses church because there's a virus going around.
0: Hmm. There's yeah. just
1: no wisdom in that at all.
0: And that's, what's crazy is, and you can ask my wife, cause she'll, she'll make fun of me about it. But for the longest time I thought, if I just go to church and I'm there on Sundays and I'm there on Saturdays and I'm there on Wednesday nights and I'm there for whatever. And I just serve wherever, if they want to throw a broom at me, I'll take the broom and I'll sweep. If they want to throw kids at me, I'll go and and disciple those kids. If, if they want me to be there at whatever time I'll be there. And I, I thought in my head that that was what was going to get me a job in ministry. Like that was, that was the correlation that I made. And now I look back on it in, in so many ways and I'm like, that's just really kind of shaming a person into doing things that you don't want to do. And, yeah. and I look back and, and I see instances of that in my life of, of how afraid I was of rejection and how afraid I was of, of my life not turning out the way I wanted it to turn out that I was willing to do anything and everything even things that i'm not good at and things that i hate and i'm not saying we always have to do the things that we like but it was like like i don't even know There there's so many instances but fear and shame are our best friends
1: yep absolutely and fear keeps you hiding right it keeps you those motives that you were just discussing about how your wife makes fun of you you were You were out to impress. You were trying to get people that you were trying to be the greatest, greatest servant in the house so that somebody would entrust you with a little more responsibility. Am I right?
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. I I've been down that road. Uh, I know that feeling. I think the really sad thing about all that to me is that we miss while we're in that mindset. We miss the fact that hanging out with those kids was ministry sweeping Mm. that floor. That was ministry. Uh, cleaning the toilets—that is ministry to somebody who's going to come along and use those toilet and benefit from a clean toilet. You know, uh, that yeah. was ministry. That doesn't mean you have to take it all on yourself. It's really just a recipe for burnout. Yeah, and that would have destroyed you long term. So thank God that didn't work out the way you thought it might.
0: Yeah, no. It, I I look at where I am now and, and the things that I'm doing. I was even just thinking about this the other day of of with this podcast and and realizing that the theological training I've undergone so far has been to have conversations like this and and to do maybe one day I'll be in ministry, but right now this is what's right in front of me. So let's do it. Uh, Yeah.
1: I would even go further than that to say you are in ministry right now. I mean, those conversations with your wife are ministry. Those conversations that you're having on the podcast, that's ministry. You relating to Derek as friends, that is ministry. That is you two. Iron sharpening iron, being there for each other, carrying one another's burdens. Uh, Every conversation, the conversation you had with Matt Cortman, that was ministry. You're giving Mm. people permission to ask questions they've been conditioned not to ask. You're helping the culture, religious culture, move towards transparency. So yeah, don't ever apologize for that, man. This is the real ministry. It's just not the paycheck that we were all looking for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the problem. I'm like, well, as soon as as soon as that comes around, I'll make it. But and that's what's so crazy is it's like I I think it was Pete Holmes was talking about this, but he was like him and his wife were talking about buying a a, a house in Carpinteria and which is or not Carpinteria in Ojai, and that's so funny because I'm I'm originally from some near there and they're talking about buying this house. She's like, "Oh, if we just buy this property in Ohio." And Pete Holmes is like, "But we're in Ohio. Like we're we're there right now. Like what makes you think that you'll be any happier in Ohio if we move there? Like just just be there as you are right now. Like be as content as you imagine you would be in that situation as like right now. Do that right now." Um and and that's that's the hard part. And and that's also back to fear of like ah, fear of not being able to provide fear of not ever having a tangible career fear of not being what america deems successful fear of whatever it may be when in actuality all of those are just constructs that we've made for ourselves that not to use the word because i hate the, this word but like it's it's a unbiblical worldview
1: anything based in fear uh, I don't know if I would say unbiblical because there there's a lot of fear in the Bible. There's a lot of religion. There's a lot of legalism that you can draw from the scriptures, but it's certainly mm, yeah. unChristlike, right? It's not like mm. Jesus. Yep. And, and there's a whole lot of things that I can say. Well, I, I want to be more biblical, and I can I can be biblical and believe in slavery. I can yeah. be biblical and be a racist. I can be a biblical. I can be biblical and stone the adulterous woman. But that's not what Jesus did. And so I think that we're coming up on a choice. This whole, I I hate the term deconstruction, but man, what other term is everybody going to understand, right? So I think this whole movement of spiritual evolution is moving us from being biblical or trying to be biblical to being more Christ-like, to really following who Jesus is and what he taught us. If we could just figure out the whole loving God, loving our neighbor thing, The world would be a better place and i can't love my neighbor until i believe god loves me and so Mm -hmm. that's kind of where i've been living for this last year just letting god love me letting god love me letting my letting god love me that didn't happen from reading six chapters of the bible a day that didn't happen and trying to have a one hour quiet time every morning but man i feel the presence of god sitting on navarre beach here in florida and watching the sun go down and to me, watching the sunset is an act of faith because it, it, I, I watch it without fear that it might not come up again tomorrow. You know, uh, It's an act of faith because I feel the presence of God just being present in that moment where I am in that time and place. And hmm. so I, I think we worry too much about what people think or what's expected of us. And um, I think we can just be more present where we are, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God loves the people around us. That's a spiritual discipline. Uh, just letting that love out, you know, mm-hmm. letting letting God love your neighbor through you, letting God love your enemy through you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that if you want to talk about being biblical or Christ like, that's where the rubber meets the road.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. It it it's so funny that. With, I knew we wanted to talk about fear, but I was like, "That's such a that's such a heavy topic and such a big topic to cover in in a forty five minute time span." But in so many ways, I I genuinely feel like this conversation was such a good start of of the things that we've we've captured in in the conversation of, of of fear of man, fear of circumstances. Uh, love of God, love of neighbor, that these things can't necessarily, that these things definitely cannot coexist. Um, and, and even just the transparency that you and I have shared as brothers, it, it's it's so encouraging to, it, it, it is encouraging to talk to people like you and to have conversations. And that's probably been my favorite part of doing this is, yeah. is having conversations with, with you and w- with others that I've talked to who are just, this is where I am. This is what I'm wrestling with. This is what I'm doing, and this is how I'm loving the people around me as God has asked me to. Mm. And so, Jason, we're coming to the end of our time. How, what does this like a tweet, tweet, uh, tweet model? What does this look like in in the daily life of a of a evangelical, ex evangelical, deconstructing water to wine Christian? <laughs>
1: That's quite a label right there. Oh, yeah. That's a long one. <laughs> uh, it's just being present in the moment, believing that you are loved by God, believing that you have what it takes to love your neighbor and even your enemies, and having mm-hmm. faith that while—and and this is where I'm in my deconstruction. Chris, you may be in a different place. I don't think God controls every detail i don't think the sovereignty of god is about him controlling everything that happens to all of us but in a in a great way right now i'm just at this point where it doesn't matter whether i live or die doesn't matter because god loves me and whatever comes next for me is just better than this Hmm. it's just better and so what my job right now in this season of my life is to love my wife and to love my kids, and to love my neighbors, and to love the people that I talk to, and, in, can, and just do everything that I can to model the love of God for them, convincing people of the love of God. That was way too long of a tweet, but uh, that's, that's <laughs> it's the a shortest thread. version it's a I can give it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think that's, gosh, like I said, this is the perfect place to start. Jason, where can people find you?
1: messyspirituality.org is kind of the hub. My blog is there, the podcast episodes get posted there, you can find all my social media there. I love connecting with folks even if they think think they need to, you know, correct everything I've said on this episode. Uh, <laughs> I would love to hear from them. And I'd love to hear I'd love to hear people's stories of how the love of God has infected them with the virus of hope.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh um, what, what are you working on right now? Is there anything, I I know you got the podcast, but I'm just curious if you're working on anything else.
1: Yeah. I'm in the final stages of a book right now. The title is from ashes. We rise. And it's all about, uh, the whole deconstruction process and, and learning, you know, when fear is the center of everything, it colors everything in your life. And so can we reorder our lives around the love of God rather than fear? And the mm. difference that it makes in our life and how it sets us free to love everybody around us and the ramifications of that.
0: Hmm. Dang, I'll, I'll definitely be looking out for that. Jason, I try to make a practice and, and I haven't done it every time, but I, I try to make a practice and an intention of of encouraging people before I let them go because I feel like with one of the main practices that that we're missing out on as a culture is encouragement. And so Jason, I just want to encourage you in what you're doing in this, in the ways that I I was talking to Carl Forehand about this, but in the, there's this idea of kind of putting yourself out on a, a spiritual autopsy table of like, lay me out, cut me open. Here's what we've done. Right. Here's what we've done wrong. And it's all there and it's okay. And, And I, I love that about you and your mission and your ministry and what you're doing so please do not stop doing that even when you have an inbox filled with people that are like what on earth are you doing keep going please keep doing what you're doing to anyone listening i don't have a patreon and i might at some point but i don't right now and i don't need one right now so if you're listening i know that jason has one and i know that he's working on some big things so if you wouldn't mind instead of supporting my non-existent patreon if you would please go and support my friend Jason with the work that he is doing, particularly with his book and also with his podcast.
1: Man, that's really generous of you. I appreciate you saying that, Chris. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. God bless you, brother.
1: Bless you. I love you. Thanks for having me on. Love you too.